Welcome to City in Focus. I'm Gloria Olivares. On this month's show, we'll paint the town firebox red with a graffiti removal crew. We'll visit the very top of City Hall for a view that most visitors never see. And think you can give great directions to a lost tourist? But can you do it in 140 languages? We'll learn all about the tech behind 311. Our first story is about a successful new job training program. Building is booming in the city, and the construction industry is looking for qualified hands to lift the skyline of San Francisco. Future tradesmen learn practical lessons at the City Build Academy. The three-month program joins hands-on carpentry together with math skills and life skills. The goal is to graduate workers who know how to handle a hammer and handle themselves. Their first lesson, getting to work on time. I leave the house at 6 in the morning and then directly after school at 3.30, I go, hop on the bus and go to work with uh, 25 kids. I didn't understand that I was going to be getting up that early, probably for the rest of my life. I was finding it difficult to get good jobs, like, and to get interviews or anything like that. It was getting really frustrating, and you can get well-paid ones, like working at restaurants, I can make good money. I'm not trying to be 50 years old working as a waitress. I decided that it would be better to have something to fall back on, so I needed something where I was going to be able to, in 10 years, accumulate like four or five properties so that I could always have something to fall back on. Three months is a long time to be busy all day. I'm just putting myself further and further in debt in this class with the understanding that it's worth the sacrifice eating like ramen for three months. It's not fun, but I think it's going to be worth it. I think so. We all want to graduate. We all tired of this class. <laughs> Been here like 11 weeks. One more week to go. I need to get these plans, y'all, because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> My main purpose is to get uh, the, the recruits uh, prepared for the, the construction trade. So what you do is you're going to get a two-by-six. They're sitting on the saw horses right there. They already marked 10 feet. We're going to cut 10 feet, and everybody's going to get one. And you're going to measure up six inches, and you're going to put a mark all the way around. You sure you got eight feet? As a journeyman carpenter, you have to let them know what's expected. And they need to know the basic, just the basic stuff to get going on the trade. The main thing, they need to know um, just the way to carry themselves on the job and the, the hustle. And you can't work in your gloves. Carpenters don't work in gloves. You can't nail and nail in gloves. Actually, my part is really a small part. And my part is really the best part. Uh, the part that, that really teaches them how to go out and fish rather than go to the fish market. My job is to actually teach them how to go fish when the fish market is closed. But see, it requires some thinking. And this is what I'm talking about. When you go on the job site, they're going to pay you $20, $15, an hour. You got to be able to think. You got to be able to figure stuff out. You got to be able to get the job done in, in a record time. No excuses. One of the things that we try to teach about the construction trades is your attitude going to work, uh, how uh, employers look upon new workers, and it's all about...
profit, profitability, productivity. So a lot of what we do, it's not about how necessarily uh, how many swings it takes to drive uh, you know, a duplex nail, but it's about do you have the right attitude, can you uh, show up on time, and can you make the company money? 12.5 times 15, right? And what you come up with, Fred? 187.5. I don't mind if you use a calculator. Some testing areas will let you do that, some won't. The students go through approximately 420-some hours of training. We operate at the Evans campus of the community college. We operate a 12-week full-time program, 7 to 3.30. Just to give you a reality check, if you were going to figure out how much flooring you need, basically you round things up. The average age of individuals in the trades is, is in the 40s from what we're, we're told, and in the 50s, quite frankly, and those folks are going to be get, getting ready to retire, and what we see is a void. The average plasterer is probably making between 60 and 80,000 a year, and probably more than that with benefits. But it, it's hard work, I'm not going to lie. You know, if you like working with your hands, if you're creative, if you like looking at a building and say, I did that finish, and that building's there for about 100 years. If you come to my program, you'll work for any plasters union in the country. I guarantee you that. They won't qualify people. They come in to recruit, and we send people to the plasters. We send them to the uh, drywallers, to the carpenters, and I've seen some even go to the electricians and the plumbers. So we're very conscious of who we give a job referral to. We work with the largest contractors in the region and involve California. We look at the skills part as far as what you could do with a hammer and nail, but there's also some other components, the soft skills part, to be able to be a team player, to be able to take directions without conflict, to be able to be precise and punctual. Things like this is the things that you would need to help you keep your job. As we look at the interviews that you guys done last week, we will be doing, we will be looking, uh, we'll be looking at the interviews today and we'll be doing the critiquing from the paper. Where would you see yourself professional say two years from now? Hmm. Um, two years, three years, I see myself as completing, um, give my associate advice. I was thinking back last week when we came in, we were talking about interviewing. There was so much thinking going on initially about you know, interviewing and how we was going to do it, but I recall you uh, stepping up and saying that you would go first. I feel like me, as an African-American woman, and as an older woman with children, I feel like I have to set an example. A lot of people don't know how to deal with uh, anger and uh, conflicts and stuff like that. They don't know. A lot of these kids up in here, they look up to me. So if I go out there and do something and don't set an example, then they're going to follow me. But since I've been such a positive role model, coming to school every day, going back from break, uh, going back to lunch, some of those kids pick up on that, and I can see the improvement in them. One thing that I, well, that I already knew, but the class helped reinstate in me is just that you really have to be checking yourself. Now we're all grown adults. Right there. Okay, go ahead, Margo. I try to be motivated in like everything that I do in my life because. Um, if you don't, if you don't encourage yourself to do something, or if you don't do things for yourself, um, you can't expect that somebody else is going to come do it for you. Some people didn't make it to class because um, they just got a bad attitude about it, you know, and they decided it wasn't worth it. Very nice. When you do something, you have to understand why you're doing it, and you can't just come in here and say this is going to be, I'm going to make some good money real quick. 
construction's not like that. You really have to want to do it because it's not easy work. You really have to want to get up in the morning and go to work, really, like do physical labor for eight hours. I worked in uh, the corporate world with uh, biotechnology companies and pharmaceutical companies on the East Coast, and I was a recruiter. I was getting too tired, and, 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 I, and I felt sluggish. Watch them. Watch them. That's probably way Hello. I knew from the first day we were outside and we were building uh, concrete form walls that being outside having the sun on my face, climbing around on a ladder, hammering, and, and the actual physical labor, I just knew it was something that I would enjoy, that I could say, I, I'll put 15 years into this and maybe not uh, retire a multimillionaire, but retire healthy and feel good about the work that I've done. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of this program. I kind of wish I paid a little, more, a little bit more attention in class. <laughs> Any, any tradesman, uh, greatest accomplishment is when you can drive by a building or a bridge and you say, I helped build that bridge or I helped build that, that building down on Market Street. But the most greatest reward for me now is to say, my student, I taught that student to work on the Bay Bridge. I taught the student that's up there operating that crane. That student was in my class and, and went through city building and I had a lot to do with it. Our goal is to have a core group of people, and we're hoping that that's well over 50% of our graduates, not only complete their apprenticeship, but become journey people and, and really, you know, upstanding good role models and citizens. The largest public works that our uh, city has seen are, and many, many years are going on right now. Um, the private project at One Rincon Hill, a uh, huge, you know, project. We've had uh, five or six people work on that project thus far. The uh, rebuilding of the Academy of Science in, in Golden Gate Park, another huge project. The rebuilding of our uh, public hospital, Laguna Honda. This is ongoing work with many of the same contractors who can move uh, successful apprentices from one project to another and keep them working for, you know, several years. There's the construction workers of the future to become the superintendents, the construction, you know, owners. That's, that's, that's the perfect scenario right there. That's success. CityBuild has two orientation sessions each month. To learn more about CityBuild Academy, call 401-4946. Sometimes it can be art. Most of the time it's just vandalism. When a complaint about tagging on public property is called in, Public Works rolls out. Charles Kremnack spent a day with the graffiti abatement crew, removing stickers, spray paint, and marker ink from public property. He discovered quickness counts, and it helps to stay positive. Charles also learned opinions about graffiti are as diverse as the city. I think it's a destruction of public and private property, so I'm against graffiti. You know, there's lots of mural and sort of artistic graffiti, and then there's lots of gang graffiti also. It's just who can, whoever can get it out the most, like whoever can be noticed the most. I've seen some senior citizens of about 80 years old doing graffiti. Some graffiti is art expression, but other people who just tag their names or tag for recognition, I think that needs to be taken care of.
I'm, I'm with the Department of Public Work Graffiti Abatement Unit. Uh, in our unit, uh, there's two different sections we're doing. Uh, one is abating, uh, and another one is posting notice of violation to uh, private property. We got the mailboxes, poles, garbage cans, and uh, phone boxes, and all those uh, utility boxes that's in uh, public right away that we abate right away. We abate calls that come in within 48 hours. We're a small group in Capriti. It's not that many, and we cover 49 square miles of the city, and we don't have enough help. I got one crew in the financial district, downtown, Chinatown, and all the way up to uh, Broadway Tunnel. And I have one crew that's mainly responsible in District C and F. Most of the graffiti we abate, everything is coming up to this area now. I'm willing to try to take it on. I, I think I. I think Are you I, telling me you're ready for this? I think so. Okay. There you go. All right. All right. We're okay, ready Jonathan. Let's go. Ready to do it. All right. Let's go. Over here, we're going to get this gray sign, this gray pole over here, and the garbage can. And normally, we don't do private property, but since it's on a corridor route, you can come with me to remove the graffiti from the uh, private property over here. We're going to use black because that's the color. Okay. We have had a lot of changes in the graffiti unit. We do private property if um, someone has passed the 30-day grace period to have it removed. We actually go and remove the graffiti, and then we send it to the attorney's office, and then they take appropriate action. So it's very important that you put the drop truck down so that you don't uh, damage their property there. And it's important to write the color, just in case they want to say what part of our house did you, uh, you know, abate the graffiti on. It's not just a baked graffiti, it's a lot of safety stuff involved. Uh, you know, using your safety glass, the right proper glove. You got it. You know, some, some places we go, people appreciate, you know, we come in the public, the city coming out to remove graffiti from, you know, their area, they, they appreciate that. So, you know, a lot of times they'll tell us, hey, thank you. Right. And it's best to put the wet paint sign where it's visible. A lot of times people put it on the ground, but, you know, if it's up here, then how can they see I like it when tourists come and say, wow, you guys do this for your city? And you get paid for that? That's wonderful, you know? And you just tell them, hey, welcome to our system. You can put that in the back. We use the uh, seawall gray for the muni poles, for the retaining walls, and we use garbage can green basically for almost everything. And then we have white here. We use white on the fire hydrants, the firebox red here for the fireboxes. We have our um, Hanson Brown or Hershey Brown for the uh, PG&E pole, the wooden poles. We're not a professional painter. We do our best to abate graffiti out in the public. I feel very satisfied, uh, you know, sense of uh, satisfaction for doing my job, and I love it. I'm assuming that it has a lot to do with, um, you know, the, the gang activity. If it's territorial, then I mind because it feels unsafe. In case. It's gang related and they're marking their territory. I would rather, you know, paint it over. 
for us, you know, anything with the numeric numbers like XIV, X13, Sereno, Norteños, uh, Westside Mob, and the Bayview and stuff, those are gang-related. When it comes down to gang-related or any kind of profanity, even that's including private property, we will abate it as soon as possible. Some consider it an art. It is an art form, and I think there are circles of people that form around it. Whether or not they should own public property or private property, that's another question. If it's artwork, then I'm all for it, and I think it looks good. Unless it's, you know, on someone's property and they don't want it there. Some kid with, you know, silver paint expressing their ego needs doesn't belong on our property. Art is more as an artwork. Graffiti is when you don't have permission from the property owner to put or write anything on their property. So Haight Street is part of your regular route? Yes, it's part of the corridor route. Every, every day? Yes. Haight Street, the Visadero Street, uh, Irving Street. Basically every block they're going through, they're painting about three or four street structures in that whole block. That you're talking about the pole, the utility box, the phone box, and the uh, mailbox. Here you go. Would you like to try it? Sure, thank you. Thank you. Slide over here. Okay. Oh. Put the drop top. Come on around. Come on around. I'll move the drop top. Yeah, there you go. We got to remember, we're not painters. We abate graffiti. It is a difference, you know what I'm saying? So I want everybody to know that we abate it. We're not painters. So we just get it, mark, get it out the way, and keep moving. Give this a little bit down right here. Oh, right here. So how many, how many of these do you do a day? Do you think? How many poles we do a day? Yeah. It depends. It depends on the location. On the average, maybe, maybe 20. You like working in it with a team, with Absolutely. other people? Mm -hmm. Yes, because I'm a people person. Mm -hmm. I like being outside. I like um, interacting with the public. And I like the response that we get, you know, especially from the good job that we do in the community. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Want to learn more? Find out what supplies to pack in a graffiti fighter's toolkit by visiting sfgov.org slash graffiti. It's been eight years in planning, and now the revolution is only days away. San Francisco's new call center is 311, and it promises a revolution in customer service. What does it take to start a revolution these days? Tech. Lots of tech. Thank you for calling San Francisco Customer Service Center. This is Sam. How may I help you? So the official name is the City and County of San Francisco's 311 Customer Service Center. We had to buy all new technology, which was uh, a bit of a challenge because there are so many bells and whistles out there. We made very specific decisions about the kind of technology we were going to purchase. Um, as well as uh, making sure that it was flexible enough to do what it needed to do. So we have a very standard but best practices call center facility. 
We've geared this to be a 24-7 operation. We're starting small and we're kind of ramping up as we publicize this. We started with 48 operators and about 8 or 10 supervisors right now. We are going to grow that into another dozen or so. As far as phones, we've got about 60 or 70 phones. One of the things we've done is we've created 311 to be a backup for 911 too. So in case there's an emergency and 911 goes down, 111 Turk Street goes down, they're going to come here and operate. So our entire training room has got phone lines and phone jacks that can double as a 911 dispatch center. So when you talk about cable lens, it's, it's about quadruple the amount we normally use for a 311 center because it's totally wired to be a 911 backup. We got the best switch for a call center, which is an 8700, an S8700. And we've got something like um, 30 T1s for 311 sticking out of it. A T1 is over 100 phone lines as one T1. So we've got 30 of them. 311 has about six different components. We never did the call center component before. So what we did when we put in our bid is we relied on subcontractors that had expertise in that. We got AT&T and we got Unisys, two of the leading subcontracting vendors in the call center space. And we kind of bolstered our bid with them. We kind of went best of breed. We got the best call center group. We got the best group to do telecom, which was AT&T, and telephone switches. We used ourselves for the IT project management requirement services. We used best of breed, and that actually won us the project. I was very mindful of using taxpayer dollars, and so it was what will last, what will work, and what will actually uh, be flexible enough for us to um, grow with the businesses that we're going to be providing. May I have your name, please? The customer relationship management tool that they're using, the application that they're using, is a front link Windows-based application. It's basically a tool that allows us to capture data for from the customer, the caller call, calling into the center, as well as all the knowledge base of the applications and the departments within the city. We have over 6,000 records of the city departments. The initial page is some scripting and basic information that we gather, and we'll enter uh, the type of call it is. And based on that, we go up to another window and go deeper into it. Depending on their responses, the system will give the operators a script to ask the next question. We keep going down that process until we get all the details we need from the customer that's called in in order to make that service request. It's all there in front of them, so it's very simple as far as knowing when the call comes in. They get light flashes of uh, ring in the air. They glance down at the bottom of their screen and will tell them, you know, how many calls we have in queue, if we have any calls in queue, how long the longest call has been waiting, and also there's information that tells them how many calls that they, they have taken, okay. how long they're talking on the call, how long, if they have to place a customer on hold, we need to check back with that customer in 30, 60 seconds. We're looking about, I think, when they went out and surveyed this, about 1.5 million calls a year. We're expecting to take between three and 5,000 calls a day here in the center. The very next K Ingleside that is heading towards downtown from St. Francis Circle. We also get real-time updates from the operators, the bus drivers, and such central control. If there's any malfunctions or any you know, reasons for a bus being late, we'll have that information readily available. San Francisco Customer Service Center. This is Gail. How may I help you? One of the reasons I believe why uh, they went with this company was that their software learns and retrains itself. There are a couple ways. Uh, one, every time the CSRs uh, receive a call and is able to provide uh, relevant and correct information to the caller, they're trained to click on a link that states this was the correct answer.
And every time that happens, it trains the whole entire system to say, for this question, this answer worked. Another tool that we use is what's known as vocabulary maintenance. We train the systems on words to ignore and synonyms. We're trying to provide more answers as well as provide the best customer solution that's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and 140 plus languages. The most inefficient time that this center will be is at the Thank beginning. We'll only get better. We'll be the best. San Francisco will be the number one call center. In terms of um, efficiency, um, what we've been able to build with what we've spent, um, in terms of the quality of our training, in terms of the services that we are providing, um, it's going to be the best. To learn more about the 311 project, visit sfgov.org slash sf311. It's the busiest wedding chapel in San Francisco and the most beautiful. If you've never taken the time to stop inside City Hall, here's a quick look at what you'll see inside this palace of beautiful art. I have two job titles. I am manager of the docent tour program as well as I am the historian of City Hall. This building is multifaceted to say the very least. It's a municipal building that operates the government for the city and county of San Francisco. This building was a dream that became a reality of a man by the name of James Rolfe Jr. who was elected mayor of San Francisco in 1912. He didn't have a city hall to go to because the city hall was destroyed in the earthquake of 1906. Construction began in April of 1913. In December 1915, the building was complete. It opens its doors in January 1916. It's a wonderful experience to come to a building built like this. The building is built as a palace, not for king, not for queen, it's built for all people. This building is beautiful art. Bose Art Architecture. At the time when City Hall was built, San Francisco had an enormous French population. So therefore, building a palace in the Bose Art tradition is not unusual. Jimmy Rolfe was quite an incredible individual. He knew that San Francisco had to regain its place that it had formerly held in the world. So he decided to have the tallest dome built in the United States. It now stands 307 feet 6 inches from the ground and it's 42 feet taller than the United States Capitol. You could spend days going around the building and finding something new. The embellishment, the carvings, it represents commerce, navigation, all of the things that San Francisco is famous for. 
the wood that you see in the Board of Supervisors chambers is Manchurian oak and it was all hand carved on site. The interesting thing about Manchurian oak is there isn't any more in the entire world. The forest in Manchuria, China was completely cleared and it was never replanted. If you look up at the ceiling, you would believe that was also hand carved out of wood. It's actually a cast plaster ceiling and is the only Spanish design in a Beaux Arts building. There are no records about how many people worked on this building. The workmen who worked on this building did not all speak the same language. And what happened was the person working next to the other person respected a skill, a skill that was so wonderful that we have this masterpiece to show the world today. If you enjoyed our look at this beautiful palace, it's easy to take a tour every weekday. To schedule a special group tour, call 554-6139. All tours are free of charge. Be sure to watch the next City in Focus. We're sending Charles to run with the big dogs at Animal Care and Control. You can email your story ideas to sfgtv at sfgov.org. Tell us what San Francisco issue you want to know more about. Thanks for watching City in Focus. I'm Gloria Olivares. See you next time on SFG TV.